how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Debbie's going to be preaching to us from the Word in a moment, from Luke chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read it starting at Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. So if you want to find that in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever you use to follow God's Word, uh, as, Deb, as Debbie explains it to us, uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 6 from verse 12 to the end of that chapter. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came forth from him, and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you that weep, for now you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Amen. Debbie, would you like to... Come forward. Father God, I do thank you for Debbie, for her commitment to you, for the, her, the way that she studies and understands your word daily, Lord. We thank you for her diligence and persistence and her desire to explain this word to us, Lord. I do pray that you will use the words you've laid upon her heart to speak to each of us this morning, that there will be a word from this passage for every person here today, that you will make that clear to them, Lord. May you open up people's hearts and minds today. Father, we, we pray as Debbie preaches that we will have open hearts to ready to receive that word and take it in and make it part of the words that we use to follow you, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Or, yes, still morning. 
I just, I, the Lord's already been speaking to us so much, hasn't he? He's been moving and speaking through our time of worship and our time of just being together. And I just want us to keep our hearts just open and soft in that place as we think about these verses. And just, we want to hear, don't we? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to pick up from these words? They might be very familiar to some of us. They might be words that we've read Um, words of Jesus that we've thought about many times before. Maybe we've got our own interpretation of them already marked out because we've thought about this great Sermon on the Mount, as you probably picked up. That's where these verses are coming from. Jesus' famous teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, the blesseds that are going to come up and that we've read together just now. Maybe you've already got all kinds of ideas about what those might mean or who they speak to. But I just really feel for us this morning that the Lord has a particular word that I want to bring. So I called what we're going to think about today, blessed disciples Not blessed disciples, because that sounds a bit funny, doesn't it? But I know that's maybe how you meant to say it, I don't know. Blessed disciples. And that picture here, if you can see it, is from one of the Jesus movies. But that maybe captures a little bit about what this Sermon on the Mount experience might have been. There was Jesus halfway up a mountain where there was a great plain in front of him and people gathered to him to hear what he had to say, but also to receive from the power that they knew was flowing through him. And we started reading our text at verse 12, didn't we? And it helps us to understand that just before this great crowd of people come to gather to Jesus, there has been a night in prayer for Jesus alone up the mountain. And he's gone up to spend time with his father, right to the top, perhaps, um, of the mountain. And he spent time alone there. And he's been wrestling with a big issue, a massive issue. He's saying to his father in heaven, Father, who is it that I am supposed to choose? Who is it that I am meant to gather to be my special disciples, my 12 disciples whom I will call apostles because apostles mean those who I am going to send out into the world to carry the same mission, to carry the same work that the Father gave Jesus to do. That was who he was going to entrust with that same work, the same spirit, the same ability to perform these incredible miracles, but to also bring his truth and his word and his saving power to people's lives. It was a big thing, wasn't it? A big moment that Jesus needed guidance and wisdom from his father to show him who are the ones to gather to yourself as those 12. I wonder this morning... Those of us who know we are disciples of Jesus. Do we call ourselves disciples of Jesus? We often call ourselves Christians, don't we? And Christian is a good word, but you know, it originated with the (laughs) non-Christians. It was non-Christians, unbelievers, who first called Christians Christians because they saw that they were people who 
talked about Jesus Christ a lot and sought to follow him and sought to be like him. But actually, Jesus' name for his people is disciples, followers, servants, friends. There's all kinds of words. And sometimes they're a bit more meaningful because you can tick Christian on a survey, can't you, in a box. And it might mean something. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are his disciple, means you're looking to learn from him. You're looking to be led by him. He is your master and you are the one following his lead, listening to the things he's got to say. It's a little bit different. And I wonder this morning where we feel we're at in this room. Are we followers, learners, disciples, those who want to listen to Jesus, those who want to do things his way? Or are we kind of leading our own lives with a nice label over the top of them? Christian or churchgoer or something like that. Because that is the distinction that Luke, when he's writing these verses, he brings that out in those early verses. He says, Jesus went up the mountain, talked to the Father. Who are these 12? And Father gave him the names of those people. And then we get that lovely list of names of the 12 disciples for us. There were some specific people who he was going to bring close to him and spend a lot of time with and invest in and release, like I said, release his mission, release his grace and his power to them so that they could carry on after his death and resurrection and ascension. There was those 12. But then Luke also describes how gathered on this plane, there were all kinds of people. And he says there were more of his disciples the ones that didn't get picked out to be in the 12. But nevertheless, there's no, it's not about hierarchies. Nevertheless, they were disciples. They were followers. They were learners. They were listeners. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They wanted to receive his leadership and his teaching. There were lots of people like that there. And they probably came because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And they wanted to obey the things that he was telling them to do. And that he was saying that God wanted from them. But then it also describes really clearly, doesn't it, that distinction. There were also wider crowds of people and they came to receive a touch from Jesus of some kind. That's not wrong, but they came because they wanted to get some healing. They came because they had a friend who was sick or a family member. They came because they knew they had demonic oppression in their lives that they couldn't break out of and they wanted Jesus to come and release his power to set them free. They came for the power that flowed forth from Jesus. And there's a distinction as you read those verses. Luke recognized that in that crowd was a mix of all kinds of people. Some were close disciples marked out and ready to stand up with Jesus and say, yeah, I'm one of his, I'm one of the 12. There were other disciples who were perhaps moving closer and seeking to get closer, seeking to get to know him more and more and more, learning from him. And then there were those who were just there because they needed a touch and wanted a touch from him. And you know, the call to us here in this place this morning is that Jesus wants all of us to move closer in. Because you can come from the edge of the crowd, enjoying the touch 
enjoying the movement of the Holy Spirit in our times and our gatherings in our worship together, you can move from that place. You can come in to a place of the disciple where you sit down and seek to learn and hear and follow and obey. And then even more than that, if we stay in that place and keep moving closer and closer and pressing in and pressing in to get near to Jesus, he will also have a special thing that he wants to share with us, that he wants us to do. He'll give us works to do. He'll mark us out for jobs and roles in our lives. He'll send us out into the places where we work, into our neighborhoods, into our families and friendship groups with something to carry that comes from him, just like he did for those 12. That's always how this is meant to be. It's not just these 12 are special. We're going to go off and do something over here. The rest of you, you can get on with it from a distance. No, Jesus is looking all the time to draw people into that place of what I want to call this morning being a blessed disciple. A blessed disciple. Blessed, I know it's a bit of a churchy word. I know it's a bit of a, you know, you only really say it in church or when someone sneezes. Um, But it just means really simply in the Greek, it means happy, content, sort of knowing that there's favor around your life, you know, knowing that you are blessed, knowing that you have got some good stuff in your life that came from God. And that is what we've been singing about a lot, isn't it? It's been the content in our worship, our gratitude rising up to our God, because we know we've got some good things that he's given us. So Jesus wants to draw us in to be those blessed disciples. And in verse 20, as he starts to share these beatitudes, these blessed sayings that we'll think about in a moment, it specifically says, Jesus turning his gaze toward his disciples began to say. Now it's not entirely clear whether he means turning his gaze specifically to those 12 that he's just appointed. Probably that is the most obvious thing in view. And certainly they would have been there right at his feet because he's called them, appointed them, and now he's sort of introducing them to everybody else. These guys are the ones who are working with me now. So yes, these words were definitely for those 12. I think also probably for the wider disciples that were following him there, hungry to learn and know. Jesus looked around and he saw them. He saw where they were at. He looked at their lives. And these words of blessing, these words that we call the Beatitudes, were specifically directed at them, at disciples. Not just the ones who were there for a bit of a buzz. (laughs) As fine as that is, God loves to bless people and he will do that. But actually these words were directed probably primarily at these 12. This was the beginning of their training to be Jesus' helpers and workers and apostles. The beginning of their boot camp, if you like. And then the wider ones, the ones who want to come in and get closer and be part of that scene. These are the words that he had for them. And I think that as we see Jesus turn his eyes on that group of people, 
I think what Luke shows us through the way that he paints the picture for us, it's almost as though Jesus looked around at these people and he knew them. He certainly knew those 12. They were the ones who he'd got to know the best. And then he would have known the other disciples. They were people following after him who'd been around a lot. He would have known quite a few of those others in the crowd. He looks around and it's almost as though now suddenly he sees prophetically into the future for them. He looks at their lives and he starts to see, if you really stick with me, guys, there's some tough times ahead. It's like he sees it. There's a revelation And as he sees it, the difficult journey that's ahead of them, particularly those 12, but the wider ones too, as he sees those difficult journeys, it's like out of his heart pours forth this desire to bless and to release grace and to release something of the hope and the beauty that our Father can give us when we have to walk difficult roads in our lives. I feel the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus welling up as he turns his gaze to his disciples, as he sees what they're going to go through. And then, out of that vision, he starts to say, blessed are the poor, because a lot of you are going to be poorer than you might have otherwise been if you follow me. You could follow after some other things in your life, but you're going to be poor. Not going to have much. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the ones who hunger now, because you're going to go hungry. And we know that the disciples did. At other points in the Gospels, we're told that they probably slightly outrageously were like, you know, we didn't even get time to eat, Jesus. (laughs) We were so busy doing your work. But more than that, they didn't have lots and lots and lots of time for endless feasting and festivities. Yeah, they had some good times and they had some good meals, but there were times when they went hungry too. But you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep. He looked at those 12. You're going to have some sorrows. You're going to have some hard times. You're going to go through some beatings and persecutions and you're going to lose people that you love for the name of Jesus. You're going to have weeping, but you will laugh. You will have joy and blessed are you when people hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. And in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. And you know, those disciples of Jesus went through all of those things for his sake, didn't they? And as Jesus looks and sees that road ahead, he wants to release blessing and he wants to release grace and he wants to release hope. He doesn't say, 
oh, it's not going to be like that. Because the road of a blessed disciple is like this. And we know, don't we, that there are many, many Christians And there have been many, many Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus in every century who have sought to live for Jesus and they've sought to live prophetic lives like these guys were and they've sought to preach the gospel and be devoted to Jesus as much as they could and they've renounced other pursuits that they could have run after in the world and they have sought to give themselves wholly to the bringing of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We know that those people through the centuries and today, even as we're meeting today around the world, there are people who just owning the name of Jesus, just saying I belong to him, just saying he's the one I worship and nobody else, just saying he is the Lord of my life who determines my decisions and my future and nobody else, who just saying those things, simple freedoms that we take for granted in this place, just for those things will go through all of these trials and pressures and more, even to death. We know that, don't we? Do we remember it? Do we recognize it? Jesus was looking down the centuries at all those who would follow him in that way and face these kinds of pressures and hardships and difficulties. And he was releasing to them blessing, blessing, joy, grace, hope for the future, but also some joy that's going to spring up now. And even for us, because we live in a kinder time, don't we, at the moment? And we live in a kinder place on the earth where we don't have those persecutions thrust upon us in the same way that some of our brothers and sisters around the world are facing today. But even so, as we go deeper in our discipleship, As we seek to draw closer to Jesus in our following him, do you know, people of God, that there will be opportunities for us to choose the harder way rather than the easier way of life for Jesus' sake. There'll be opportunities. We may not be forced down those roads like some people are, but there will be opportunities. Paul says in 2 Timothy, anybody who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, everybody who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecutions, pressures of some kind, hostilities from the enemy, from the world, There will be pressure against that because there are opportunities in our walk with Jesus to choose a narrower way rather than the big, wide, open way. You see, the world offers us life down the big, wide, open road. And the world's philosophy on life is everybody has the right to be rich (laughs) or at the very least comfortable. Everybody, that is what life is about. The world's philosophy says everybody has the right to have full stomachs. That is what life is about. In fact, it is a travesty 
where people don't. I'm not saying these are wrong hopes and dreams. <laughs> the world says everybody has the right to be happy and to laugh as much of the time as possible and to choose the way of life that brings you the most joy, that brings you the most happiness, and to put that first. Prioritize it because that is what life is about. Prioritize your riches. Prioritize your comfort and your satisfaction and your food. Prioritize your own happiness. Prioritize people liking you. You know, because life is about getting on with everyone and not upsetting anybody and not offending anybody. That's what life's about. The world's got a great philosophy and I know we all want to walk that road, right? <laughs> it sounds good. But there will be opportunities, there will be moments in our life when we walk with Jesus where he says, you could go down that road. It's not wrong or evil. You could go down that road, but for my sake, will you take this one, the narrow one, the one that has a bit more pain attached to it, the one that will make you poorer rather than richer, the one that will bring you hunger from time to time rather than just full satisfaction every day? The one that will bring you tears, not only happiness. The one that will bring you persecutions, insults, rejection from people. Will you choose that sometimes? It's not that Jesus said, it's always like this. <laughs> and that's the only way to be truly holy. That doesn't make any sense. And it's not borne out in the way that he gathers disciples to him throughout the Gospels. He had all kinds of people, rich and poor, people who had comfortable lives, people who didn't have so much. All kinds of people in the early church were meeting together, those who had businesses and, and were satisfied with their lives and those who were slaves and who had nothing. All kinds of people. It's not that the holy way is to suddenly try and be poor and try and be miserable and try never to eat anything or to try and be... That's not the point. The point Jesus is making is when he looks at his disciples, he knows there are going to be moments where the road that sticks closest to me takes you down a way that is hard. And when you choose that way, Jesus' promise to us is that there is blessing. Jesus' promise is that there is blessing, there is joy, there is comfort, there is grace, there is something beautiful. Some of it is stored up in the future. It says your rewards in heaven will be great. And he's encouraging us in those difficult times to fix our eyes on that future glory, that welcome into the heavenly places so that when we've done with this life and we've put these earthly bodies down and we go into glory, there will be an abundant welcome, the scripture says, for those who took the narrow way and laid some stuff down. And that's one thing to keep your hope in when you're in that place and it's hard Jesus says, there's something ahead of you that is beautiful. 
Hang on to the hope of that, because that is joy beyond anything this life would offer you. But also, Jesus is saying, in the here and now, it's not only what is stored up for you in the future, in the walk, here and now, in the footsteps along the way. Jesus is pronouncing blessing. And when he speaks blessing, that favor and that joy and that grace, it rests on your life in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the sacrifice. The joy wells up. And this is the mystery that only what I want to call blessed disciples really ever find and discover in Jesus. Because the crowds who sit at the edges and just stay for the good bits, they get some joy and they get some blessing, yeah? And they get some wonderful healings in their lives. And you know, we don't believe it when we look on from the outside. We think, well, that's as joyful as it gets, isn't it? When your body gets healed or you get set free from an oppression or whatever. Yeah, amazing, beautiful, miraculous, joyful. But Jesus says there's a deeper kind of blessing that those who make sacrifices to choose the narrow way with me, when the opportunities come, not in some self-flagellating way, when the opportunity is there, those who choose that way, yes, they will know tears, but they will also know a blessing that is richer and deeper and truer and more joyful and comes from the very core of you rather than just lands on you like a blessing from outside, comes welling up from within, a joy that carries you through the difficult times. And I just want us to think for a few moments before we close about the things that we're being invited to choose from time to time. We're being invited to choose a poor away sometimes. Not everyone, all the time, but sometimes the Lord may be saying to us to stick close with me and what, with what I've got for your life, you're going to need to put to one side the opportunities that your upbringing or your education or your position in society could have offered you. Somebody I know, after gaining their Cambridge degree and being encouraged to go for all kinds of top high-flying jobs in law, careers in banking, careers in management consultancy. This is what you can do with this kind of degree. You can just walk into the top level of these top jobs. But my friend chose to work for instead a Christian charity that was serving amongst some of the poorest and most deprived people in the country and they described how disgusted peers were, their peers from those days, but also their teachers and, and lecturers, people who'd invested in them, telling them, you've thrown away and wasted that education, which would have opened doors for you into the highest places. You have wasted it in a job that doesn't need that kind of intelligence and on people who will never appreciate that kind of intelligence. They were told these things because sometimes, though, to follow the course that Jesus has for your life, you've got to put aside the opportunities you could have had and choose the poor away. He doesn't ask that of everyone. 
But maybe for some of us, he does. And if we do make that sacrifice, there's a joy that's deeper than the high-paid job ever could have been. We might choose to hunger, not just because of poverty, because we don't have enough money in our pockets, but we might choose to fast and pray. We might choose sometimes to deny our flesh the things that it cries out for, for the sake of Jesus and what he wants to do with us. We're saying no to that expectation that the world has, that we will fulfill all the desires of the flesh. And in fact, it is damaging to a person if we don't do that. That's the world's view. But we might say, no, I'm going to choose hunger sometimes. (laughs) Or I'm going to choose to deny my flesh in some other way. I remember a friend of mine who heard I was going to um, the Worship Prayer and Fasting Conference that Uh, Ichthus runs and it's a three-day conference of fasting which we all do together which makes it a lot easier but I remember she was not Christian and when she heard I was doing this she literally said you might die if you do that I thought she was genuinely worried about me she's like have you seen a doctor about this I was like I'm really sure that I won't die (laughs) I've seen other people do it and I think I think I can cope with three days not eating I think it's all right (laughs) But it was such an alien concept. That's what it said to me. Like For her, it was absolutely inconceivable. But you know, sometimes the Lord encourages us to choose those things, those sacrifices. You know, it might be food for some of us. I know some of our house groups have been thinking about fasting recently, just independently. Um, Maybe that's something the Lord is speaking to some of us. Maybe it's other areas of the flesh. Maybe, you know, for some of us, We might find it's the opportunity to lay down our sexual appetites and to offer our singleness or our celibacy to the Lord Jesus for his purposes. That is a sacrifice in these days. And it might be hard and it might fly in the face of what our culture would say to us. But sometimes those opportunities, when we take them, we will find, yeah, it's a struggle. It's difficult, it's demanding, but there is a blessing that can flow in that sacrifice with its own joy and its own reward. And again, that's not everybody's path, but for some it might be. You know, we might choose to weep a bit more than we could, than we have to. We might choose to engage I believe there are some of us that the Lord is leading us in this way, in intercession for the problems of this world. Maybe the big problems that we see on the news screens, maybe it's your neighbor next door or the things you see in your own streets. Maybe it's situations in your friends' and family's lives. But the Lord is calling us to learn how to pray and go deeper. And you know, that takes tears intercession takes you to a place of tears and you know we have the choice people of God we can live our lives kind of saying well that's not my thing to worry about really and just get on with making ourselves happy or we can choose when Jesus presents something to us to say I'm going to engage with that going to weep some tears over it going to pray and I'm going to see the glory of God shine in You know, Jesus shows us that tears are important when he stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And he didn't just say, 
I've got the victories. I don't need to be sad about this at all. Death is nothing to me. He didn't say that, did he? Here some Christians say stuff like that, but he didn't. He looked at that mess, that rotting stench of a body behind that massive stone. And he looked at the people weeping and sorrowing and yelling and crying because of the pain of that loss. And he looked at those women, his sisters, who were destitute now, lost without their provider in the family and their plight and the loss of his friend. And he wept. The Bible says he shed tears. And then he healed him. And then he called him out of the grave. Because when we engage with the things the Lord gives us to engage with, even in the sorrow and the tears, it's hard and it's heavy. Remember how Paul said, every day I feel pressing in upon me the weight of the concern and the care for all the churches that I have planted and been involved with. I carry their burdens. He was saying, I carry their sorrows. I carry the things that they're carrying. I feel it. He didn't have to live like that. He could have lived in his own way. He could have gone for his own things. He could have achieved his own ends in his life but he chose to enter into that stuff and to weep those tears and to see the glory of God poured out as the prayers were answered because there is victory over death and the prayers do get answered and there is breakthrough when we choose these things and finally we might at times choose to allow ourselves to be misunderstood rejected pushed away and not be the most popular people in the room. Not because we think it's somehow holy to make ourselves deliberately unpopular. (laughs) Some Christians seem to think that that's a, a holy thing to do, to be as objectionable as possible, so that everyone rejects us. That's not what we're talking about, and it's not what you see Jesus do. (laughs) Far from. No, but the point is, that there'll be roads sometimes that we choose that other people don't like. And even when we think, but this is the good and the right and the true and the honest and the noble and the beautiful thing that God wants, there will be those that hate it and want to push it away, reject and vilify you for it. I was reminded how in the papers a few years ago, There was a story about the brilliant organisation CAP, Christians Against Poverty. And you know, this newspaper article declared at the beginning how CAP had been the most effective, more effective than all the government debt relief schemes that have been put out there. It had been much more effective in helping people get back into a sure footing financially as they came alongside people. But this article was absolutely disgusted with the fact that they would offer to pray with every client um, as they went along. And they were upfront about that from the beginning. It wasn't like a secret that they landed on people. They're a Christian organization, and there will always be an offer of prayer. And you don't have to accept it. You can say no right up front. But I remember the anger, the vilification, the manipulative way this company was, this, this charity was being described by the papers. There will be that kind of reaction, even when you're just trying to do God's work, you're just trying to do the right thing, you're just trying to live the way he's called you to live. There will be times that it won't be popular and that can be painful, but there is joy nonetheless in those things. And I just want to finish 
by reading some verses that Paul said. You can flick to the next slide, actually. I'll just make the point. When Jesus talks about the woes, again, remember, he's looking at his disciples when he says this. He's not just saying all rich people are bad. He's saying, woe to you if you try to walk out the disciples' life, but do it on that big road and never choose the difficult one. Woe to you. Because, yeah, you'll have some nice things in your life, but you'll miss out on the real joy. That's what he's saying. And you're to be pitied because there won't be that beautiful, glorious reward held for you because you had all your rewards just here in this life. And there's a sorrow as Jesus paints that picture. We're not to walk his walk trying to serve ourselves. We're not to pretend to be disciples, but simply live for the money, the food, the laughter, and the popularity that life can offer. We're not to do that. It's a woeful place. And I want to finish what I'm saying by just reading to us what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. If I can find 2 Corinthians in my Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 4 to 10. Because he describes so beautifully this tension of the sacrifices of a disciple, but the blessings that flow when we choose them. And this is what he says. In everything, we commend ourselves as servants of God, or disciples, you could say, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. These are the blessings all the time flowing. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. By glory and dishonor. By evil report and good report. Regarded as deceivers and yet true. As unknown yet well known. As dying Yet behold, we live as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. This beautiful blend that Paul describes is the way of the blessed disciple. I believe we've touched some of those blessings this morning. The blessings of the body, the blessings of being together in this gathered place, the blessings of knowing the Holy Spirit move amongst us. Those blessings flow when we are true disciples who are willing to, when the opportunities come, willing to take the harder road and make a sacrifice for Jesus here and there. Take up our cross and keep on following. Those are the disciples who find a deeper place of blessing. So let me pray. Lord, I just pray for everyone here 
who's knowing the pain of sacrifice before you. And I just pray that your blessing, prophetic blessing would rest on their lives today. Give them that joy that's deeper than what the world offers. And Lord, for those of us that you're calling to come closer, and maybe we're afraid of what we might have to lay down if we do, Lord, help us not to fear. There's nothing to fear because your joy is deeper than anything we might lose and your gifts are greater than anything we might put to one side. Help us. Give us courage, Lord. Give us faith to see life the way you do, Lord. It's an eternity that we have with you and there are joys to come that are indescribable for those who are faithful. Lord, help us to be those faithful ones. Help us to respond to the challenges you present to us and help us to, in all of it, be your servants in your name. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so As I abide in you, let your lead.